Lessons and Lattes, episode 13, technically a re-record, but I'm still excited to bring it to you. Tonight we have Alicia Ray, incredibly fun person, and I'm going to let her introduce herself because I cannot do her accomplishments justice. <laughs> oh, Megan, you're so sweet. So I'm Alicia Ray. I am from a, um, a STEM magnet middle school in Northwest North Carolina. And my official title is Lead Digital Learning and Media Innovation Facilitator, which is a really big mouthful. But basically, I get the best of both worlds. I get to work with um, teachers in an instructional coaching model, and I get to work with students as their school librarians. So I get to do a whole lot of really cool things in my job. And you are, at the time of this recording, you are two days post-release of a very fun book. I haven't read it yet, but I've seen lots of cool stuff on social media. Can you let the listeners know what you have out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the name of my book is Educational Eye Exam, Creating Your Vision for Education. Um, it was published from, uh, by Dave Burgess Consulting. And I'm super excited. The book takes you through um, an optometry appointment. And so I think most people have been to an eye doctor at some point. And so you may remember going in and, of course, filling out the paperwork. And then you go see the big EI chart. And, and you sit in front of that contraption where they have you read numbers. So there's all these things that I feel like people could identify with, with going to an eye doctor. And um, throughout the book, I take each of those steps and relate them to education and questions are asked in a way that it really gives the reader an opportunity to um, consider their educational philosophy. It kind of takes reflecting a step further. Um, you know, we can think about what we've done in our classroom that day and we can think, you know, oh, I would do this differently or oh, this went really well, but we don't have a lot of time to sit down and get to the meat of what we believe about education. So this book will hopefully be an outlet for people to be able to do that and to, to stop and consider their own beliefs and, and be able to, to put those into practice in whatever their educational field is. So. Nice. It sounds super exciting. And there's definitely, I believe, a need for that type of book. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you can do it this way or this is what you should implement. But then also taking that reflective piece and taking that step back is super important in what we do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I found that when I was um, reading the Dave Burgess Consulting books last summer, I read the first 50 in 101 days and during all of that it was like there were so many amazing voices coming at me and I loved everything I was reading but you know it was like at some point you've got to stop and say well this is great but what do I believe personally um and so the the idea of the educational eye exam like your eyeballs your body parts <laughs> um it really becomes an eye exam as in a, a me stop and think about what do I believe and um, how does that how does that relate to my own experiences and and am I living out what I say I believe so it, it's really it's really a deep book I think and I, I really am excited to hear the feedback and, and how that goes for people so I know it's just been two days but um what is that experience like being two days with your book out um, I've seen some excitement on social media regarding your book and um, what does that just feel like and 
How is your school responding to that? Do your students really know, like, kind of what is all of that like? Oh, that's a cool question. So um, I'm insanely overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's really in the best way possible. I mean, I am overcome by this, um, this feeling of support from people that I've never met before. Um, my school has been very supportive. My principal is phenomenal. My school system is really one of the very best, not just in North Carolina, but I feel like we're the, one of the best in the world. Um, I'm so, so proud of my school system. Um, and, and they've been supportive in, in the greatest way. But I'll tell you, when it was released on Monday, um, I really struggled because I, I, I wanted to celebrate. You know? Like, this is a huge accomplishment. I'm, I'm taking this off, you know, checking it off of my bucket list of all these things I wanted to do. And I've wanted to write since I was a little girl. And um, I wanted to celebrate. And I kept trying to figure out how to do that. And I had initially asked my principal for the day off um, to just be at home and really take it in and kind of watch it, watch it unfold and be in the moment and talk to my husband about it. And he was going to have to work that day. There was no way he could get off. So it would really just be me sitting at home. And the more I thought about it, I went back to my principal and I said, you know, my students have been the ones that have been with me from the beginning. They've been the ones who, um, when I started this process last year and had my initial book chat and, you know, pitching the book and and going through the process of being up late writing and you know my students were who were so excited and they were my encouragement and my motivation and they stopped me in the hall and they're like Ray, what's going on with your book you know and I just thought why not why would I not celebrate it with them so I got to spend the day Monday with some of the most amazing students that I've ever met in my life and get to share this experience with them and it was it was exactly where I needed to be Monday so and have you found that your students are more encouraged to write or share their writing with you um through this whole process (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah um I can't tell you how many manuscripts of 10 to 13 year olds that I currently have in my google drive (laughs) (laughs) And I have done a lot of editing of high school papers recently. And it's so funny because I'm like, y'all realize I had an editing team, a phenomenal (laughs) editing team. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's been, that's been really exciting to watch the kids grow even more interested in their own literacy and writing and and reading, and they keep asking me, you know, are you going to put your book in the library? I don't know that it really, I don't know that it fits middle school students so much as maybe middle school teachers, but um, it excites me that it gives them, you know, in a a high poverty, very rural area, it it gives them something to, you know, grab, grab onto and say, wow, I know someone who did this. I might could do this one day too. So that's really exciting. And it's really huge for the kids to have hope and almost like an idol and something or someone that they can connect to in their journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that I can definitely be that for them. And then on the other side, like what has the staff response been um, at your site or 
um, within your district? Have people come to you? Have you had requests for PDs? Are you like a super celebrity? Like, what's all that like? So, yeah, part of being in a, um, in North Carolina, we're not really a small district per se. We're kind of a medium district. We have 19 schools. Um, I can't even tell you how many students. I don't know right off the top of my head, but I mean, we're fairly, we were a medium sized district, but um, I have worked from kindergarten to eighth grade and have worked with a large majority of the staff within my district. And so it's been really cool because I know so many of them personally that they've been sending me messages and we're so excited for you. Text messages, direct messages, Facebook, Instagram, just everywhere. Um, a few have said, Hey, we want to do a book study on this. And I'm like, <laughs> it's funny because I'm like, you guys actually know the story. You were there. <laughs> um, and then of course in my school, they have just been so incredibly kind. I mean, walking down the hall and they'll just come up and give me a big hug and they like to pick on me, you know, they're like, Oh, we, I got to hug my big famous author friend or I want to autograph. And I'm like, guys, come on. Like I'm still, it's, it's not like that at all. Um, but you know, they, they really are doing all they can to, to pump me up and be supportive and encouraging. And I, I just appreciate that so much because if anybody understands what we do and how we work, you know, it, it makes me happy that, my, my school and my district is behind me because they're really who I do the work for, you know? Right. Um, they see that it's not just, it's not just someone who can write a book mm -hmm. per se, you know, like I live what I wrote and I, I want to make sure that, um, make sure that I always live what I wrote. And that's really important to me. That's like kind of the whole message of your book. So I'm sure that's like super important. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, um, you said that you work, you get to work with the students in a library. And I know there's been like a lot of talk, um, like social media has been talking about like promoting libraries and having that be a space for kids. And I vaguely remember us talking about struggling readers and kind of want to dive into that a little bit. Um, kind of your approach with struggling readers and what's been successful for you? Absolutely. So one of the things that I did last year, we moved away from having any type of quiz type program, um, insert reading quiz program here kind of thing. Um, we, we moved away from doing book reports um, and really just got into the heart of just reading and enjoying a book. Nice. Um, we took away all leveling um, of any books in our library. Everything is wide open for any student. Um, they can read whatever they'd like. If they pick it up and they don't like the first couple chapters, bring it back. Get something else, you know? Um, and, you know, there's, there's a liberation within a student bringing you a book back and saying, you know, I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, like they, they didn't feel as though they had to read it. Um, and then there's also just the, the vibe that when a student brings me a book back and says, oh, I love this book, you know, I can say, oh, that's fantastic. Here's a book that's like it. And there's no pressure to take a test or to show mastery of the book. Mm -hmm. The mastery is in the love of reading. Mm -hmm. And if you love reading, you're going to get better at reading. So even if it's 
whether it's a reluctant reader for whatever reason. I mean, we have high-flying students who can read like crazy and just don't like to read. Right. Um, or if it's if it's a student who is a, a struggling reader, a student who is is um, getting better at reading. They have so much room to grow, and they're growing their little hearts out. You know, it doesn't matter what level a child picks a book up on. Um, and graphic novels, we talked about this oh, last yes. time. Graphic <laughs> novels are books, and you and I could sit here and preach a full sermon yep. about graphic novels. Yes. Um, and and I, I really, I go towards the graphic novels and the picture books a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because those those give us the ability to level the playing field and allow all of our students, regardless of... Um, you know, if English is a second language, if there's a, a, a processing disorder, if there is just the I don't want to read mm-hmm. attitude, you know, um, picture books and, and graphic novels always, they, they give students this feeling that, you know, hey, I could finish this book. This isn't so bad. Right. And once they build that confidence, the sky's the limit. And it also seems like with the illustrations and or pictures um, that it's a fun book like there's some element of like either fantasy or fun with that and it's not just like your typical textbook or your typical like novel they're reading in the class it's something different something like you said achievable and just I think like it's like lately I've been gravitating more towards graphic novels and picture books because they're like bite-sized they're chunkable they're like they're just totally doable. And I think that educators out there need to hear us loud and clear. <laughs> you know, reading is reading. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I had a student who loved Beyonce and I would let her read People Magazine because she could get, you know, the latest dirt and gossip on Beyonce that day. And, but she was still reading. Um, and that to me yeah. was huge. And just, you know, I think we need to look at the end goal when it comes to reading. Is it, are we reading to absorb information or are we just reading to read and get the word based up and just like that love of literature? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I feel like if we don't have a love of literature as a whole, your, your informational text is going to suffer because of that. You know, I mean, you can't, it's hard for me to imagine someone being able to sit down and read this complex informational text if the baseline of literacy is not there. Um, So I I feel like the love of learning, the love of reading definitely needs to come first and then we can get into the content and the informational text that needs to be, to be shared. Right. And it's all about um, obtaining those successes and feeling achievable. And like, I can do this. Like that is so huge, especially in the sped world where they've um, hit so much failure and so much rejection, especially around language and literacy. So. I completely agree. And that's been one of the things that, um, that I really enjoy watching is especially our sped kids really start to develop a love of literacy and it's really cool to watch it happen. It's sad. Uh, you know, it's it's insanely sad to see it happen this late. Right. But it's really exciting and really cool to get to watch it happen when they're in middle school. And it's just like, 
I don't know. It, it opened a whole new world for them um, and for all students, really, but especially for our SPED kids who have, like you said, they've struggled for so long. And then it's just this whole, it might not be a full wide open door, you know, the you may not have the gates swing open, but you might have a window open. Exactly. I was and, just thinking that as you said that. Yeah, exactly. See, we are just so much alike. This is why I adore you. But yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really cool to see happen. Yes. It, it is, but really in middle school. In middle school and high school, I think. Um, I've been more in the high school realm, but like when they pick up a book, when they want to like go look at the books, I mean, even in the classroom library, it's so big. Um, and to say, hey, Miss Kay, like I read this book and I'm like, really, what was it about? And they can tell you all about it and their eyes light up. It's something truly amazing. Um, to kind of switch gears again, because I'm totally like that right now. Um, <laughs> you said that you provide support um, to teachers, like as an instructional coach role. Um, what have been your strategies um, to approach teachers to help them help their students gain literacy, gain comprehension? Kind of what is your go to? Well, I'm, I almost feel cliche. <laughs> in it because people say it all the time but it's so true I mean you got to build the relationships mm-hmm. I can't possibly begin to work with a teacher that doesn't trust me yet mm-hmm. and I can't possibly know the needs of the teacher or the or that teacher's educational philosophy if I'm shoving technology down their throat and their philosophy does not include technology, I've got to work through the philosophy piece before I can ever be successful with the technology piece. Um, So building those relationships, there's absolutely nothing I can do that is more important than that. And, um, you know, I love, I love the people that I work with. I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, love them. And I love that I know about their families and what they're going through and, we have genuine relationships. I I don't see a coach in any way ever being successful without having relationships with those they work with. It's so true, like relationships with your coworkers, relationships with your students. That's kind of like what it boils down to at the end of the day. And, you know, colleagues and the people we work with, um, they go through just as much as our students. And I think sometimes because we're so busy or this or that, we kind of turn a blind eye to that. And it's unfortunate, but I really love that you come back to that root um, of relationships and building trust and understanding what's going on. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, you work mostly in the middle school setting. What are some of the challenges that you encounter just either in the library as an instructional coach just overall? Um, with middle schoolers, they're kind of like the middle kid. <laughs> you know, they, they um, I feel like sometimes our middle schoolers feel forgotten or feel lost. Um, you know, they go from, in, in my particular district, we're pre-K-5 in our elementary, and then 6, 7, 8, middle, 9, okay. 12 is high. Mm-hmm. So they go from, you know, we've got our little sixth graders who go from being the big dogs on campus to all of a sudden trying to figure out where they fit again. Mm-hmm. Um, our seventh graders who feel like 
oh, sixth graders always get the new things. They get the really cool stuff. And then eighth grade gets to go on the big field trips and they get to do all the fun stuff because they're eighth grade. You know, they, they're always kind of stuck in the middle of the middle. <laughs> and then our eighth graders, um, you know, they're really starting to figure out what life is going to be about. And they're starting to come into their own and, and begin to think very seriously about, you know, what track do I want to take in life? Do, do I want to go to college? Do I want to go to a trade school? Do I want to go directly into uh, my career? I mean, do I have an outlet to go straight into a career of my choice? Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting to watch that insane shift happen from a sixth grader to an eighth grader. Um, they have some real life issues. Some of my students deal with more than I could ever imagine as an adult trying to hold down. Um, so it's really, uh, can't really think of the right word for it. It's um, it's just incredible. I mean, I guess that's the only thing to watch them grow and come into their own person through that time period. And like you get to see, like like you said, that transition, which um, is something that is truly special, um, which you're very fortunate. I'm sure you've touched many lives um, throughout your path. Um, what would you say is the most common thing that the kids are overcoming? Is it like their identity issue? Is it family-based? Is it community-based? What is like kind of that common denominator that you see um, the students having to overcome? So, oh, that's a really good question. Uh, and I didn't prepare I, you. I'm so sorry. No, it's not, no, I love good questions. That was, that was epic. I, I would have to say off the top of my head, which is typically one of the best ways to answer questions like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that in, a, in our rural area, we have a lot of jobs that we're losing to, you know, we have the mom and pop stores. We we still have, I mean, okay, so I'm in Mayberry, right? Like, you picture Andy Griffith and this idea of Mayberry. I am actually in the town that Mayberry was modeled after. Oh, my goodness. That is my home. Yes, we have the Andy Griffith Museum. We have the Andy Griffith Playhouse. Um, Mount Pilot, which is in the in the Andy Griffith Show and Mayberry RSD and all these different spinoffs. Uh, Mount Pilot is actually Pilot Mountain, and you can you can Google that and see what Pilot Mountain looks like and what downtown Mayberry looks like, which is actually called Mount Airy. Um, so all of these mom and pop stores, um, we're having a lot of issues right now with unemployment in our area, mm-hmm. and that unemployment is beginning the cycle of poverty. Um, for those that have never experienced it. And then of course you just have your rural area poverty. That's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just part of the, part of the societal shifts that we have. Um, so one of the things our kids are really having to overcome is this, uh, this feeling of poverty, whether it's a mm-hmm. cycle or the beginning of the cycle and helping them understand that, yes, you have problems at home. And yes, I understand that, we're trying to figure out how to get food on the table. The education is the way to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while all of that is going on, 
I'm going to try to meet your Maslow's needs while you're here at school. And I'm going to try to make sure you feel safe and secure and fed and loved and cared for. But I need you as the child to, to understand that school is your, it, that is your gateway. That's mm -hmm. how you get out of this. Um, and so helping them at such a young age understand that. And then when it clicks, when they really get that, oh, wow, I could be, I don't want to say more because more sounds like what they have is not enough. And if they have love, they have everything they need. Mm -hmm. But um, but they, they would be better suited to take care of themselves and their families, whether that's a future family or the family they have right now, if they focus in class mm -hmm. and get their get their work done and listen and jump through the annoying hoops that is our current educational program. Yes. Um, jump through the hoops, get it done, and level up. I talk to the kids about how sometimes school feels like a game. Level up, get to the next level, um, and and you will see success, and you'll be able to take care of your family then. So. What a great analogy, like kind of using what they do and, you know, bringing it into education so that it's relatable is so special and so huge. Um, and I can't believe we've been talking for almost 30 minutes already. It's always such a treat to talk to you. But if you could leave our listeners with like one little soundbite either to get through the week or to get through um, the fall, um, I know that we're going to be entering kind of like that sickness phase. Um, what is it that you could share with our listeners for like about a minute or like that little kind of stop bite? Yeah, okay. So I would say um, it's straight from Dave Burgess, Teach Like a Pirate, and it's been the thing that has motivated me for the past 18 months. Um, inspiration without implementation is a waste. So whatever it is that inspires you, do something with it. Um, if you're not doing something with it, whatever that it is, it, it's really kind of pointless. You, when you're inspired and you're not inspiring others or making changes in your own educational practice from that inspiration, um, really all it does is just take up room in your brain. So I'd say do something amazing with the things that inspire you. And your book, Educational Eye Exam, is definitely like your amazing piece right now. Um, our listeners can find it on Amazon, right? And Barnes & Noble? Yes. That is correct. Yes, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, you can also find it on DaveBurgessConsulting.com, and it's under books. And just scroll on down. There's a free preview there where you can read the first few chapters for free and see what you think. Nice. And you can be found on Twitter. I know you're pretty active in some of the chats, but what's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle is I love educating I L U D educating and you can also find me at the same handle on Instagram awesome and you do have a blog out there I know that you were blogging the Dave Burgess books and um, I don't know if you stopped and like have a guest blogger for yours but I know you do have a blog out there as well yes I do still I definitely still blog in his books um, I love them. They're all phenomenal. Um, you can find those at aliciaray.com. And currently, I'm also doing a series, um, Education According to Hamilton, from Hamilton the Musical. Nice. And taking those songs and um, linking those to something within education. And you can find, um, you can share your thoughts about educational eye exam 
using the hashtag um, EduIExam. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and definitely your hospitality. It's been so much fun talking with you. Oh, you too. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you do next. (laughs) The latte part is always the best part of this podcast. And I'm really excited to share with you how to do it yourself. The famous pumpkin spice latte. So what you need is half a cup of milk, one tablespoon pumpkin puree, one teaspoon brown sugar, one quarter teaspoon pumpkin pie spice, two teaspoons pure vanilla extract, one to two shots of espresso, or one cup of hot, strong brewed coffee. In a saucepan, whisk together milk, pumpkin puree, and light brown sugar. Cook over medium heat, stirring frequently until hot and steamy. Remove from heat, whisk in the pumpkin pie spice and the vanilla. Continue to whisk until frothy. Pour into two coffee mugs about halfway up and then add in the espresso or coffee. At this point, you can add sugar to taste. Garnish with whipped cream and a sprinkle of nutmeg. Enjoy on these cold autumn nights.